What's going on, guys? We are back with the 50 Plus One Football Podcast, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. We have a nice little host of topics for you today, but with me, as always, a man who, to me, if I was Borussia Dortmund, he would be bottling it in the title race. It's Billy. I think we need to come up with some positive uh, metaphors. There have been a lot of negative the positive ones. ones are, the positive ones are never fun. Uh, that's very true. They're not very fun. And like Lewis said, we have a whole lot of topics to cover, including Dortmund bottling it, although a little bit of help from VAR with that one. We'll have a look at the relegation battle as well on the other flip side of the Bundesliga table. And then we'll move over to the Premier League. We'll have a look at Leeds. Have a look at Chelsea. And we're going to have to talk about the big Norwegian once again. Oh, my name's Erling Haaland and I score lots of goals. Grow up. But all that and more just after some things you may have missed. So Haaland just scored his 35 league goals. He's got five games left. Hanover's Hendrik Vidant is retiring from football at the age of just 27 to work for his father's tax firm. And Lionel Messi has been suspended by PSG and will leave in the summer. Definite trouble in paradise. I wonder if the media is going to kick up a storm like they did when another certain goat moved to Saudi Arabia. But without further ado, let's talk about the Bundesliga. Well, Dortmund bottling it. We've already kind of spoiled the first topic a little bit. Um, first off, we say bottling it. We do know what happened in the fabled 65th minute of that Friday night game against Bochum. We're not stupid. We don't live under a rock. At the end of the day, basically sets up a pretty good question. Is it Dortmund bottling it if you are reliant on a penalty that hasn't been given, or phrase it differently, a penalty not being given, that is a clear penalty, should that be the deciding factor in why you don't win a game? No. VAR is there to aid and assist, not ascent, well, potentially take the title away from Dortmund for the first time in what could be 11 seasons. Well, yeah, but that's that, That's exactly my point. Obviously, VAR should be doing its job, and we. I think we we can't. Like, we'll talk about the whole VAR discussion in a second. But for me, it's the fact that, um, or more the question. Even though VAR has been at fault for not giving the penalty, if that's deciding the title race. How much how much can you say VAR decided the title race versus Dortmund should have done better? Yeah, okay, I get that, but it's not the fact that Bochum are gonna roll over and take it. They're fighting for their lives. You know, they they needed a win, they needed that point as much as, as Dortmund did. Yeah. So I think they'll probably hold their hands up and say we got away with one. Uh, Suarez got away with one there. But it was interesting that the statement from the DFB. So it says the defender jumps sideways from behind with both legs into a duel for the ball. He does not play the ball, instead only hits the opponent and brings him down. This is a foul and thus a penalty kick as the TV pictures also prove. The expectation must remain that such operations will be properly decided by the referee on the pitch without the support of the video assistant. So they know and they can say they they even yeah. said the the TV pictures clearly show it. So well, okay, but everyone who was watching that game and everyone who saw the highlights and everyone who saw basically Twitter knew that it was a clear penalty. I mean it was you don't have to be, you know, the world's greatest referee. You don't have to even be or have had any refereeing experience. You just have to have played football and seen that, you know, going through the guy. I mean, you know, uh, Zasha Stigman, the referee in question on the pitch, the fact that he's not seeing that for one thing, that that is that is unbelievable. He did say in hindsight, um, 
the reasoning that he gave for seeing it when he saw it, you know, in real time and happen was the fact that Adiemi tried to basically shield the ball and basically put his leg where the defender was going in. In my eyes, I guess, you know, it's a way of of looking at it as a referee, possibly even because they're going to get judged from every angle and they know that the rule book is, you know, very specific at times. But, you know, at the end of the day, if, you know, he should be seeing it. And then you have to ask questions of the guy sitting in the VAR room, Robert Hartmann, who is seeing multiple pictures of this and saying, nah, that, that's that's not a problem. That's 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 ridiculous. He's sitting there with all of those camera angles. He's seen all basically that foul from about 15 different positions. And he's still not, you know, gone in Stegemann's ear and said, maybe you should, maybe you should have a look at that. That he shouldn't be in the VAR room again. Like that, that, that is, you can't miss something like that. And then, you know, obviously with the title being on the line and stuff, but I don't know. You know, we had, we've seen stuff like this in the Premier League, you know, where the VAR also hasn't done its job. And Dr. Felix Brüch, another referee, he said, you know, the referees never asked for VAR. So do you think that in the end, the referees would be better off without it? No, I just think they have to learn how to use it. I get, like I said, it's there to aid and assist. And, okay, it's okay for Sasha Stegerman to not see it on the pitch or to think that Adiemi's trying to shield the ball. And he's looking for the contact, yeah. It's still contact. It's still a penalty. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I would lay the blame solely at the door of Robert Hartman because you're getting so many angles. And the fact that uh, Stegerman is up to come out, he did say he was completely furious and he feels like shit. Well, yeah, obviously, because he knows what he knows what's on the line. Like, okay, uh, do your job properly, uh, and then you won't have to. I've got zero sympathy for officials when they make decisions so blindingly badly. Yeah, uh, this is not uh, Bundesliga, not Premier League, but you must know uh, Matteo Lejos, the Spanish referee, Champions yeah. League games, things like that. So he's uh, retiring in inverted commas at the end of this oh. season. Um, and this whole thing came out from the Atletico Madrid game at the weekend. He spoke to Rodrigo de Paul. Yeah. And he was like, look, um, they're retiring me. La Liga are uh, not letting me referee next season. I'm fucked. And again, it's on the back of a, a run of horrendous refereeing performances. And it's like, okay, well, good. Have some accountability for the officials in, in your league. Yeah. Robert Hartman should not be on VAR. I completely agree with you on that. Ever again. I yeah. think Sasha Stegemann. Well, he was refereeing literally on Saturday again. I can I can see why. It's a bad decision. I can understand why he thought in the heat, in the quickness, in the sharpness. Yeah. The split second decision, no. I don't know. Stick him as fourth official for a bit. Yeah, I mean, put it put it this way: you, at the end of the day, we should definitely and like like we've said, we should be probably blaming Hartmann more than Stegemann. But I still think, you know, it's blatant contact. Suarez rushes in there, and I'm pretty sure every Bochum player on the pitch saw that challenge. Was like, ah, fuck, we're we're we've, we're considering a penalty now. Um, you know, I th at the end of the day, it it just should it just should have been called. Period. But I think, you know, coming back to the whole, how is this Dortmund bottling it? Dortmund didn't manage to get over a one-one um, against Bochum. They cited two more controversies in that game one was where apparently Emre Can got took a little push in the back in the lead up to Bochum's uh one nil which in my opinion mm, no 
and in the second one, Homus had a late winner disallowed uh, due to an offside position. I think uh, it was. And that was correct. He wasn't an offside position. And then the handball, the handball that they were asking for, which Mazovic had in the penalty, just wasn't one. So, you know, I I get that after, you know, a blatant penalty not being not being called, they're going to be going through every refereeing decision you can do. But to then go out and start blaming the whole game on the ref, obviously, if I was a fan, I'd probably be seeing this differently. But I think if you look at it from a neutral perspective, you just have to say Dortmund should have, you know, they did have more chances to put away. Riemann had an amazing game in goal. You know, all credit to him, but still, as Borussia Dortmund, if you're, if you're, if the title really is on the line and just is, and you are in the better position, you just should be doing better. So, what was it that Felix Magat said? Oh yeah, he said basically uh, he, when uh, when asked about the uh, about the VAR decision, he was like, "Oh, just stop coming with the VAR decision. Dortmund just should have scored." They had 90 minutes to score more than a goal in Bochum, and they didn't. It's not down to just one referee missed refereeing decision. And at the end of the day, like I, I 100% can you know because obviously decisions should have been called and whatnot. But at the end of the day, you kind of have to say he does have a point, and you've got 90 minutes. Yeah, okay, you've got 90 minutes, but if the referee's not doing his job properly, then you're going to be hamstrung by it. And I I know he did very well. He won the, the league with Wolfsburg, but the everlasting memory I've got of Felix Magat is how awful he was with Fulham. Like proper dinosaur-style football. Yeah, it just didn't. it just didn't go well. I might just play devil's advocate here for, for a second, though, and say... Yes, maybe they should have scored, but when the title is on the line, every single minute detail counts. So I almost could give it a little bit to Dortmund. I don't know. Would you would you say it's still more down to the fact they should be scoring and you know that's just down to their own fault or uh, you you'd like to think the firepower they have, they would be able to score more against Bochum. But like I said, Bochum needed those points as well. If Come the end of the season, Dortmund lose it by a point, then it will magnify that refereeing decision more and more, and people will look back on it and go, "Okay, well that was the moment that Dortmund lost the league." Not through any fault of their own, not through any uh, bottling from Bayern Munich, but they lost it because of that refereeing decision, a combination of uh, Sasha Stegemann and Robert Hartmann. Well, I think then we can very safely say at the end of the day, the minute details do count. And Felix Magat, I understand where you're coming from, but I think in this situation, it's warranted. It's, I mean, Dortmund, like the staff and players were fuming. They they were they almost broke down the door of the referees' locker room in the in the Bochum Stadium, in the Vonovia Stadium. It was I mean, emotions were running high, or to say emotions were running high is an understatement. But yeah. Uh, see, that it just reminds me, what, what was it, 2004, 2005? Chelsea against Barcelona. 2009. No, 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 no. This was when Mourinho was the manager the first time. Uh, okay, um, I thought you were saying about the injustice in the quarterfinal where they should have had, <laughs> and where where Balak, you just have that. I just have that image burn in my head where Balak is literally like next to the referee, just yelling in his face. The referee just keeps on running. No, so uh, there were some decisions that Chelsea disagreed with, and uh, Steve Clark, who was the assistant at the time, now Scotland manager, went in obviously at full-time or what went in at half-time, I think it was. Yeah. And he saw Frank Rijkaard, who was Barcelona manager then, going into the referee's room. He reported what he saw. Um, UEFA found nothing wrong with it, but obviously the referee then got, you know, threats and just never refereed again. 
I don't think it's going to be that serious for Sasha Stegerman because oh, he, let's be honest, get, he he got some serious threats online. He, he got fair. some. He got. It's going to happen in social media. It shouldn't do, yeah. but it's it's going to. But he came out. He apologized. Said yeah, he felt like yeah. shit, and also he's got someone there with more angles to help him. So true. You know, uh, the other thing just before we talk about relegation battle is you talk about Felix Magat talking about oh well, they should have scored more against Bochum. Bayern quite on the under the radar because of what happened with Dortmund dispatched Hertha Berlin 2-0 I mean bottom of the table but they you, struggled you say this yeah I mean I was about to say you say dispatched you know dispatched is uh it's probably an overstatement to be honest they struggled they couldn't get two passes together um they ground although, out yeah they I I guess you could say they ground out the result, but I, at the end of the day, that's what makes the uh, the title-winning teams. You know, you grind out the result even when you don't, uh, when when it's not going well. But I mean, to quote Michael Balak uh, during the game, Bayern have been playing basically standing football. Everything is slow, and the safe pass is always uh, the prefer is always the preferred option. Again, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. It's a pretty damning uh, analysis, if you put it that way. But yeah, it. I mean, just is what it is. But yeah, um, I think we can safely leave the topic of the title race. Uh, more to come next week, obviously. Sorry, guys. But the title race, that will be a topic that we keep discussing. But it just is because the Bundesliga title race is as close as it hasn't been in the last 10 years you could almost say that it is more a race of you know which snail finishes quickest because in all honesty this will be the lowest points finish by the title winning team in the last 13 years wow it says everything about the the stuttering of two teams but let's talk Less about the top of the table. Let's talk more about the bottom. And while we're on the subject of buying against Hertha BSC, 22 points, five off of second from bottom. It looks pretty done and dusted, doesn't it? I don't want to say it because there are still games left. But yes. And it's their own fault. Because oh, yeah. you can't say, oh, but. We, we don't have the money to compete. Uni on Berlin don't have the money to compete. And but they're, they, yeah, they're, they're well run. They're well managed. They spend sensibly. They don't have all this money come in and then just throw it at players that don't fit a system just because they're there. Hmm. That sounds familiar. That sounds like another team in blue. Uh, don't don't take any topics away from us, Bill. It would have been a perfect segue. I'll I'll, I'll try and set you up for it uh, again. <laughs> but yeah, looking at the last few matches, the arguably the last good result they ground out was a one-one against Freiburg, which I actually happened to watch in Berlin in a Hertha bar, which was you know entertaining. Impressive. Well, it was entertaining for me. But um, you know, obviously, you're you're allowed to lose to Leipzig. 5-2 loss against Schalke. Oof. 4-2 loss against uh, Bremen at home. Oof. And I mean, you're obviously allowed to lose to Bayern, but, you know, if you're looking at the last few matches, you've got Stuttgart, who are a direct rival in the relegation battle, um, and Stuttgart have made it to the semifinals of the DFB Pokal. Obviously, at the time of recording, they just have been knocked out by uh, Frankfurt, but also very narrowly. You know, 3-2, it could have even, you know, there was a last-minute penalty that wasn't given. This time, that was the right decision. Um, but, you know, you're looking at the teams. You've got uh, Köln, 32nd, match day 32. You've got Bochum, another direct rival, match day 33. And then you've got Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg, I don't see Hertha Berlin getting points there. And, I mean, you have to then beat Bochum. You have to beat Stuttgart. And then, you know, Köln, I don't know if they'll get points against them either. It's definitely not an easy few games because 
as much as Bochum and Stuttgart might be having a harsh time of it, they are going to have the momentum in the sense that, you know, they're fighting for their lives. And Hertha right now, it just doesn't seem to be, the morale just doesn't seem to be there. Like they go, you think they're going to need six points from those four. And Minimum. The, the most realistic places they're going to come are from Stuttgart and Bochum. I don't think they're going to get them. So I think it's probably them and Schalke maybe Bochum down. But I want this to finally be the year that Hamburg come back up. I'm not worried about uh, Darmstadt or Heidenheim. Couldn't care. <laughs> I want Hamburg back. Because they've been down there for so long. <laughs> Every time they get relatively close, it's like, oh, no, okay, we'll just lose to like bottom of the league and then throw it all away. Oh, they, they are, they've literally been the kings of bottling it the minute they get into a good position, you know, in the springtime. Like, it's basically just... But, I mean, put it this way. If you look at Schalke's last few matches, you've got Mainz this coming Friday. You've got Bayern the week after. Then you've got Frankfurt, and then you've got Leipzig. <laughs> you could almost say that Schalke are probably getting zero points from those four matches. Oh, then someone, again, someone clip it when they beat Bayern. Someone, oh, someone just, repost it. Now you said that. I was about to say. Now I've said that. Do you know what they'll do? They'll probably like if if you look at it, they managed to beat Bremen. So maybe they'll beat Mainz. Maybe they'll even manage to beat Frankfurt, and then they'll probably beat Bayern as well. And then they'll get nine points from twelve. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. Schalke is just, they've definitely had a better second half of the season. And they've kind of gone through a little revival under Thomas Reis. So I'd say momentum's on their side as well. But, you know, they do have a harsh rest, uh, you know, last four games, put it that way. Bochum? I don't know. You've got Gladbach, who aren't very in form at the minute you've got augsburg eh, probably you know equal then you've got hertha obviously and then you've got leverkusen the last the last uh match day if bochum play it well nine points from 12. i don't think they're winning three of those games really no i think they'll get five points maybe four because look at the... the They'll the beat last... Hertha. They'll beat Hertha. Easy. Yeah, okay. But if you look at the results they've ground out, you know, 1-1 against Union Berlin um, two match days ago. Obviously, the 1-1 against Dortmund. Um, the 1-1 against Frankfurt. And they beat Leipzig. Yeah, it's possible. It's definitely possible. That's why we love relegation scraps. It still annoys me that you have playoffs, but I'm not getting into that again. Every season I do this, I'm not getting into it again. Okay, well, looking points-wise, looking at the table, you've got, obviously, Hertha 22, Schalke 27, Bochum 28, Stuttgart 28, Hoffenheim 29. Realistically speaking, even Augsburg might still be in the thick of things when it comes to the relegation scrap. If things go, you know completely pear-shaped so anyone from 13th down still really isn't all that safe well we'll see how that pans out in the next few weeks but let's leave the bundesliga and let's take a look at the premier league so we haven't spoken about leeds in a while not since they sacked the real-life equivalent of Ted Lasso, S.E. Marsh. Uh, they hired Javi Gracia uh, and have since now sacked Javi Gracia. And they've brought in the Premier League's original firefighter, uh, your friend and mine, Big Sam. England's only manager with a 100% win record. Thank you very much. With the one game he was in charge. I distinctly remember the first uni lecture we had was just... A big picture of Sam Allardyce with a like holding up a scarf 
where someone had just photoshopped I'm fucked on it. And that was after his whole after that whole scandal which got him sacked as uh England manager in the first place. Do you mean that one? Yes, yes. <laughs> of course I've got that. Oh picture. Tim, Tim Collins. What a guy. So he's being appointed. Let me just give you the four games he has to pull a team that seemingly don't want to stay in the league. Yeah. Uh, so just the uh, the easy match on Saturday, just a, you know, a simple trip uh, to Manchester to play Manchester City. <laughs> then over by the Norwegian freak of nature. Then they have a home game against Newcastle United. Ooh. who are going to be gunning for top four still. Then they have West Ham away. West Ham, after the 2-0 loss today, potentially still teetering on that relegation thing, although I think they're probably safe. And then they finish the season at Elland Road at home to uh, Spurs. Oof. Realistically, I think the West Ham game is the only one they win. Yeah. Or, sorry, the only one they have a chance of winning. Yeah, um, you, you just can't you just can't get around the fact that, you know, they're one point above relegation. In Well, in all actuality, they're only not in the relegation zone because Forest have a worse goal difference. You know, if Everton pull out some freak uh, win in their last couple of games, if Forest do the same... And Leeds don't. If Dykes keeps that Everton side up, I'll eat gravel. Okay, but Nottingham Forest, they've been good for, you know, a surprise every now and then. Uh, yeah, okay, the atmosphere is great. Um, but it's the same issue I've got, or the same issue I had when Leeds first came up. They played the, Cavalier oh. football. <laughs> Do you know what? Impartiality out of the window. I hope they lose every single game of those four, and I hope they lose them by an aggregate of like 40 nil. Jesus. I hope they go to the Etihad on Saturday and get an absolute fucking pasting. Well, they probably will. I mean... Good. But so Victor Orta has left by, in inverted commas now, mutual consent. Wow. Because it's just baffling the appointments, the, the signings. You signed Jorginho Rutter from Hoffenheim, who is a good Arguably, player uh, in his own right, a very good young player. And he just doesn't get any minutes. You're relying on a half-clap Patrick Bamford. <laughs> so he basically had one good season and everyone thinks he's the shit. And then now it's just, well... Oh, honest to God. So Big Sam's appointed today, Wednesday at time of recording. Let me just play you a, a segment from his press conference. Uh, and uh, I want to get your reaction on this uh, because I think it's, uh, it's interesting. I might be 68 and look old, but there's nobody, there's nobody ahead of me in football terms. Not Pep, not, not Klopp, not Arteta. So it's all there with me. Um, and I share it with them. They 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 do what they do. I do do what I do. But in terms of knowledge and depth of knowledge, I'm up there with them. I'm not saying I'm better than them, but certainly as good as they are. So, Lewis, the uh, in the in the pantheon of great football managers, currently managing in the Premier League. We have Pep Guardiola of the Jordi Cruyff. No, that's his son. <laughs> nice. Uh, of for fuck's sake, of the Johan Cruyff School. We have Jurgen Klopp of the Gergen Press School. Well, also the last manager to successfully defeat Bayern in the Bundesliga, so... There we go. And we have, apparently, according to the man himself, Big Sam, 
of the pint of wine school. It sounds like the ramblings of a madman. I'm sorry, but how deluded can you be? But to back him somewhat, when he was at Bolton years ago now, he was one of the first managers to do the sort of conditioning, the recovery, the recuperation. He's a very intelligent manager. He Obviously, he's been around long enough to have accumulated this knowledge. No one's suggesting he doesn't know what he's talking about. But then Leeds put up a graphic of his managerial statistics, pretty much. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. It made for kind of depressing reading. So 537 Premier League games managed. Uh, 178 Premier League games won. Oh, God, that's a win. 17, oh. 17 Premier League seasons managed in. Um, so, you know. 173 out of 537, that's less than a third almost. Uh, it is. Almost exactly 30%. Jesus Christ. So, yeah. Um, we can get into in depth into Leeds if and when they go down because, I mean, let's be honest, it's a, it's a shambles. It's a mess. Um, people are pointing to the 4-1 defeat by Bournemouth. I think that's less on... Leeds, I think that's more, you know, let's give credit to Gary O'Neill, who yeah, took over yeah. at Bournemouth after they lost 9-0 to Liverpool. True. Scott true. Parker got the sack, and I think it says more about how little Scott Parker could get out of those players. Yeah. The Because Gary O'Neill's got the same players, <laughs> barring one centre-back signed in January or something like that. He's got the same players, and he's getting a tune out of them. Yeah. Obviously, Leeds are hoping that they're going to have a similar effect with Big Sam, but four matches is not long. It's like when uh, oh, who was who was brought in for exactly one match before the end of the season? Oh, who was it? Who was it? Oh, oh this is really interesting to know. Oh, oh, Steve, Steve Holland. Just before. Hiddink arrived at Stanford Bridge. Steve Holland, assistant to Mourinho, took charge of one game, beating Sunderland 3-1 in the Premier League. His win <laughs> record, therefore, stands at 100%. No, 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 no. This was literally like a season before the end, like one match before the end of the season. Oh, yeah, here. It was um here. Uh, Vera Brim. Oh, I thought you were about and, the Premier League. Oh, no, no. Florian Kofet was fired one game before the end of the season for, for Bremen. I think it was even the season that they went down. It's, you know, obviously it's not that close to the end of the season, but four games, like you said, <laughs> you really have to do a turnaround and you've got teams like City, like uh, Spurs coming. And you, I know Spurs are, you know, right now, about as awful as you as it can get for a top six club, but they still are, you know, a team with Harry Kane in it uh, and Hoiming Son. So, you know, oof. I, I don't see. I think Leeds are going down. It's going to be an interesting one. You you think Southampton are already down? Yeah, uh, I don't. Twenty four points. They're five points behind the rest. It's kind of like Kata. It's it's very tight. I mean. West Ham are four points ahead of Leicester and Leeds and Forest, who have all got 30 points. West Ham are 34. Everton have 29. So there's five points between 19th and 15th. So it is still possible. That... Well, yeah, it is pretty tight, but still, you know. So let's talk about the teams. Sorry, let's move away from the teams fighting relegation. Let's talk about a team that mathematically still could get relegated. No. We spoke about them a few weeks ago. We're going to have to talk about them again now because the game against Arsenal was 
possibly the worst 45 minutes of football I've seen any team play ever. ever. Oh, are you sure about that? Because I think I'm, what was and the I score? watched my I watched my team concede six, six. and a half. I, I was about to say, uh, <laughs> what was the score going into halftime against Liverpool? Um, I've never wanted you to lose the league more. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not fight. Let's talk about Chelsea. That makes everyone feel better. So they've conceded before... thirty-eight goals this season. They've they've got a minus a, a goal difference of minus seven. Um, well, before we talk about the shambolic defending, just a, a little quote from from Frank Lampard. Uh, we are Chelsea, and we want to leave eleventh place. Um, <laughs> well, he's successfully done that, hasn't uh, he? Congratulations, Frank! <laughs> you've you've done that. Um, Chelsea in our twelfth. Um, so, in Frank Lampard's last twenty matches, no, no, um, he has seventeen defeats, two draws. And a win, our win, scored 12 and conceded 40 goals with a, a win percentage now of 5%. I was about to say it keeps going down because I read out those statistics last time around when I think it was 19, ma- he was 19 matches deep and he was at a win percentage of about what six points something. So, yeah, it keeps going down and arguably. Not not just arguably, it just has gotten worse under Frank Lampard, hasn't it? And you've got your hundred million pounds signing, uh, Mikhailo Mudrik. He was through on goal. What was that? He put like this little, you know, pass back basically to Ramsdale. Ramsdale kept it. He didn't just parry it. He kept it. Uh, to be fair to Mikhailo Mudrik, he was there. Second best player well, it's against kind of, Arsenal. It's uh, not hard to be the best player in a team that just isn't performing, period. N- no, but credit where it's due to uh, Noni Wadweke. Yeah, okay, he got I his I think goal. It's, it's difficult when you're one of 11 players that seems to be trying. Uh, ben Chilwell, I, I've said it repeatedly, just not good enough. Um, Cesar Azpilicueta, Past too, it. too old now. Um, for some reason, N'Golo Kante was the most advanced midfielder in that three of Kante, Kovacic, and Enzo Fernandez. Enzo Fernandez, incidentally, not worth the 105. If he was Pogba, he'd be being crucified right now. Um, I don't know what's happened with Raheem Sterling and uh, <laughs> Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. As shambolic as ever probably, I don't know, he must have pissed off a gypsy or something because man is cursed. Yeah, I, I don't but know. But you've, you've got... So you Frank Lampard decides to play back four. Okay, Chelsea again, same as Spurs, notorious for playing for back, back three. three. Yeah. Um, Wesley Fofana came off and, and Trevor Shalaba came on at some point. But penny for the thoughts of Benoit Badiashiel. Oh, that poor guy must be regretting his move more than uh, probably Raheem Sterling. He's he's left City and gone to Chelsea. I think, you know, if, if you're Raheem Sterling right now, you must just be sitting there and thinking, what the actual fuck have I done to my, to my career? I mean, he could be... Obviously, he probably wouldn't have gotten into that City team, um, you know, the way it's playing now, but he still could have been part of that City team that can very much still win the trouble. And I mean, Chelsea is just, you know, at some point you're thinking, I'm a professional footballer and I'm playing for a club who have won the Champions League before and still don't have the facilities to cope with the amount of players being signed so that players are getting changed in the hallway. You know, that's like Sunday league team stuff. And that's because Sunday league teams get changed in, I don't know, like the like the, the locker rooms of some nearby secondary school. Which is uh, at this point, you know, Chelsea probably do have the facilities of a nearby secondary school, you know. Well, and we'll talk about Arsenal in a second because it was just so easy. Yeah, I was about to say, Arsenal weren't playing, they weren't coming off like a string of good performances. Arsenal hadn't won a game in a month. But uh, Joao Felix, 
We all oh. know he, he's a oh good player. God. We all we all know he's a good player. We've seen it. But Frank, Frank like even Frank Lampard saying, um, he's not a number nine. He's not a number ten. You ask him where you know where he wants to play, and he, he can't tell you. Yeah. Um, and then proceeds to play Kai Havertz through the middle in the second half. A player that who repeatedly we have said ever since he moved to Chelsea is not a centre forward. No. Just because he's six foot two, that's the that's the reason he's he's being played up top. Uh I honestly would not shock me if they sacked Frank Lampard. Uh but at this point, why fucking bother? The season's dead. You're not gonna get anywhere, you're not gonna win anything. And what I wanted to talk about more before we talk about Arsenal and my ever-growing love for Martin Odegaard. Oh, yeah. Is, and this is going to sound really biased of me for a moment, but Solskjaer was crucified when he went on a bad run of results that eventually led to him getting the sack. Which I think, what what was he? At his worst, he was probably... Did, did he drop as far as 12th at some point? No, never. Exactly. What did he drop to? What, 6th maybe? I think we were ninth at one point. Okay, maybe. And then Ranya yeah. came in and it just didn't get any better. Um, yeah, but, st- but still, I mean, it, at the end of the day, Solskjaer still got you guys into Champions League spots. Exactly. Uh, Even Alan Shearer, when... Frank Lampard was appointed. It was like, oh, it's a great opportunity for Frank to show what he can do with a good team and, you know, potentially win the Champions League. That what? went fucking well, didn't it, Alan? I'm sorry, but that... I, I want to know oh. whether it's just because it's Frank Lampard and he's everyone's fucking mate that people seem reluctant to criticise him. Because uh, there was a video of Roy Keane ages and ages and ages ago when he was at Chelsea the first time. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Jamie Reynolds going, oh, yeah, but, you know, uh, United this and Solskjaer that. And Roy King's like, yeah, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Frank Lampard. Yeah. And and how bad he is at his job. Yeah. You know, you look at Steven Gerrard. It's exactly the same thing. It says more about Steven Gerrard than it does about Unai Emery. The fact that Emery is getting that Villa team to play that well, challenging for European places. They were 16th when he took over, and that's because of Steven Gerrard. Everton, well, they probably might still get relegated. That partially, not wholly percent, wholly on Frank Lampard, but mainly on Frank Lampard. Yeah. How are you still getting work? You know, he went to Derby, the one of the best Derby teams in like the last fifteen years, failed to get promoted. Make it make sense, Lewis, because it makes my head hurt. No, because I and I think I think it just is that notion that you know Lampard basically during his playing career never heard a fly, so to speak. Um, you know, or obviously he he had those scandals. Like you know, I think if you go all the way back, you know, I'm talking way back. Uh, I think he was part of a group of Chelsea players who went on the piss up right after 9/11 happened. Um, How and- dare they! Exactly. Um, well, the put it this way: the rag that is the sun made a huge deal out of it. Um, anyways, oh, shit rag. Yeah. Uh, anyways, but like, if if you ask, you know, the average Premier League fan, I don't think he'll ever talk about you know Frank Lampard having any bad boy moments, any anything where you know where you're like, oh, what an asshole. Like you, you never would think of Frank Lampard in the same way that you would maybe, you know, Luis Suarez, you know, he bit someone or Cantona who went, you know, flying kicked a fan uh, or you, things like that. Or, you know, Nemanja Vidic, great defender, but he would also, you just knew that he was, he was just brutal in tackling. You know, Frank Lampard was just everyone's, you know, picture perfect midfielder when he was playing. And I think, that is what's giving him so much credit. And, you know, the fact that he got so much leeway the first time round at Chelsea, all well and good because, you know, of of 
because of what kind of a player he was and how much he had done for that club. But now the second time around, I think it's just, you know, there is a time where, as you said, Solskjaer took heat like no one's business. And he was also, you know, a former United player who had had some success with smaller clubs, but that was his first big, big club. And he didn't do a job half as bad. Uh, half as bad as Frank Lampard's did. And, you know, I, you just have to criticize him at some point because it's just, it just is, it's it's very telling when under an interim manager, the team even gets worse because that's exactly what you're trying to avoid. The team getting, you know, you want the team to get, you know, to stay at the level they are at and maybe get a little bit better. The thing, the reason you get an interim manager is because under the under the current manager, you see a negative trend and it just keeps getting worse. But now it's just, you know, a different guy's at the helm and it's just going downhill the same way it was going down before. Arguably even faster. I'd say if Graham Potter was still in the seat, he might be getting better results for them. Uh, I don't know. I think a, a lot of it probably now has to do with the owner. Um, yeah. And... Just before we talk about my favorite person, Todd Bowley, uh, <laughs> one last thing on Frank Lampard being everyone's, you know, nice person. I bet he has sex with the lights off. <laughs> what, <laughs> vanilla, vanilla missionary. Missionary for like 30 seconds. And they both, <laughs> him, and, him and Mylene roll in separate directions and he cries ever so slightly. Jesus Christ, Bill. You know. <laughs> You you just you just attested post-coital weeping to Frank Lampard. Like, I mean, on. he's got to weep at some point after those performances, and if it isn't after sex, <laughs> I don't know when it will be. Oh. He's like, was that good for you as well? <laughs> anyway, uh, let's leave Frank Lampard. Anyway, before <laughs> I uh, lose myself and Todd Bowley. I don't want to keep banging this drum. Uh, but it, you have to. But you I have, have to. to. Because, my God, man. I said it to you Tuesday night. And it's just... Oh, yeah, I said it to you. Just because you have the money to spend doesn't, one, mean you should. And two doesn't mean it's going to solve anything. The Premier League is not pay to win. Nah, it, it, it's not. And I think it, this is, you know, somewhat of a, of a cancer almost of, you know, American billionaires coming in and thinking that the Premier League is the same, same type of deal as, uh, you know, any American sports franchise. It's just, you need to you need to understand that this that this whole thing is not every team uh, has been made of money. You know, the whole franchise system in the U.S. basically guarantees that every team needs some massive financial backer who's a billionaire to finance them. And you know, because of that franchise system it's a lot easier basically as an owner to just say, I'll throw some money at it um, and, and hopefully it'll work. But, you know, football is just a different breed. It's a different breed of sport. It has, there is no franchise system. Everyone is their own thing. So if you start throwing money at something, a lot of money at something, and it's not dealt with in the proper fashion, then it's going to go downhill. And there's just no one at Chelsea Football Club right now who has enough football know-how and enough standing to basically correct the course that Todd Bowley has set out and, you know, basically has the grit to tell him, buddy, this is, you can't, you can't just give me a hundred million and say, buy this kid who looks good in a YouTube video, which at the end of the day, I'm sorry, Mikhailo Mudrik Probably is a very talented player, but he's just gone to the wrong club at the wrong moment in time and arguably is just that smudge too overrated. 
I think it's almost a sense of instant karma. Yeah, yeah. One, because he just assumed Chelsea were automatically in the Champions League every year, um, which is funny as fuck. And also, he appointed himself as like interim head of football um, when... He has no clue how the sport works. I don't know. I could scrape skin cells from underneath my fingers. That sounded really weird. Um, I could scrape skin from underneath my fingernails and they would know more about football than Todd Bowley. Me and you could own a football club. You know, we, we've played career mode. I know more about football than Todd Bowley. I was about to say, he'd probably fail on FIFA in career mode. And I, again, I spoke about it last week. I love that picture of the fan giving him dog's abuse. Well, um, yeah, but I, I, it's, <laughs> it's just... It's just inexplicable to me how you think that, you know, just uh, like it, it, you go into a business as well. You don't just start throwing money at the thing and then say it works. Bus a business also functions through good management, good employees and people who get things done in an efficient manner. But, you know, they obviously you can throw money and get more efficient people and better people but at the end of the day you still have to get a cohesive unit going and it's not just you know a psg type situation where you've got 11 individual stars on the pitch um like it, he's just gone and bought players like i'm sorry but maduake badashil mudrick these are all players like yeah they're probably talented in their own right but these are players that never should have been running for the money that they got that that they that was paid for them and these are players who, in all honesty, until they showed up at Chelsea, I didn't have on my radar. Not what not even a smudge. And you know, they've just gone and bought them for a ton of money. Kukurea shouldn't have been bought for half the cash that he's been bought. Uh, yeah, but that's just, you know, Brighton having their pants down. Yeah, but still, at the end of the day, it's it's just as Chelsea, then you are you at some point you just have to say, okay, then we don't pay that money. But he doesn't seem to have that intelligence in him. So before we talk Haaland ever so briefly, uh, we'll leave the Glazers for now because I will uh, potentially weep with A, joy, <laughs> or B, despair, uh, depending on what happens with the sale. So we will talk about them then and uh, we'll try and get Casey back on. But FSG, Fenway Sports Group, of the three big American owners, so now Bowley, Glazers, and themselves, yeah, I'd be the best because they leave it, or they leave the running of Liverpool to people that know how to run it, and yet still people want them out because they can't help themselves. Yeah, I mean, I think the be the biggest issue there was, or the I think the biggest scandal was, you know, what was it, three, four, maybe even five years ago, um, they raised this ticket sales um to 77 pound minimum uh for a ticket at uh liverpool and in the 77th minute then all the fans left the stadium subsequently and put pressure and even then you know fsg they they look at it and they just want to make money and at the end of the day you just have to say if you're going to own a sports club especially a football club you just have to get behind the notion that you are owning the football club just purely for your own enjoyment and the fact that you have too much money to burn. You don't own a football club to make a profit, to generate a profit, because it's just not going to happen. Definitely not. I think Americans just can't help but put their hand in the cookie jar. I think that's probably the, the be-all and end-all of it. Um, so let us know what you think about Todd Bowley, what you think about FSG, what you think about the Glazers' ownership. And before we finish, I said it in the intro, oh, my name's Erling Haaland and I score lots of goals. Um, 35 in just in the league. Just in the league. 51 in all competitions now. Uh, he's overtaken Andy Cole and Alan Shearer. Um, they both scored 34 goals in 93-94 and 94-95 respectively. But... They had 42 matches to do they it. They had 42 matches to do it. Haaland uh, has five games left. 
and I have it here. 35 goals in 31 league appearances is obscene, is ridiculous, is, I mean, let's be honest, um, expected. Well, not all of us expected this at the beginning of the season because I remember one idiot going off and saying, uh, I, th- I believe it was a Chelsea fan, Rory, who a few people will will have seen on Twitter and Instagram and whatnot. Um, he went around shooting his mouth off and saying, oh, that's so disrespectful to of the establishment. How disrespectful would that be if you just came into the league and then won the golden boot? That'd be so disrespectful. He's not going to do it. He won't do it. Uh, my friend, how poorly that clip has aged. I don't care that he's, I, I, I believe he's put out already like a, like an apology video or something and say, you know, yeah, I probably shouldn't have shut my mouth off. Uh, my friend, just sit down and never utter another word because he obviously just hadn't watched Haaland play before. He didn't. He obviously didn't know that that man was just a behemoth of a striker who was just going to obliterate all records. We had this discussion last week. If you guys didn't catch it, check out the previous episode. But we've said it'll be hard for him to be known as the best striker in the Premier League because he just won't be in the Premier League that long. But in his first season, he just gone and said, "Oh, there's a record." Yeah, it's been held by probably the biggest English strikers in history. Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna just I'm gonna just kill that and do it with five games to spare. This guy will probably finish with 40 league goals, if not more. Well, they have got leads on Saturday, so that's an opportunity to pick up six or seven. Exactly. I'm sorry, but it, we have to. You have to already after one season, class one one season class him as one of the greatest strikers to ever grace the Premier League, if not the greatest. I, I'm not going to grace that with a response. Hey, he's... I'm not going, I'm not going to grace that with a response. This isn't going to give us clicks. This isn't going to give us clicks. So I need a response here. <laughs> no. no, no, no. I'm just you cannot I'm say. Not, I'm not going to get even say, the tiniest nib, tiniest nibble. No, you cannot say he's one of the greatest. Oh, yes, okay, you cannot say he's one of the greatest uh, Premier League strikers when he's got less Premier League goals than Stan Collymore. He's got less Premier League goals than Jason Yule. So yeah, less Premier League. Uh, uh, sorry, he's got less Premier League goals. Than Shane Long, Ida Johnson, James Milner. <laughs> yes, James Milner has made nearly 700 appearances. I was about to say <laughs> in this great league of ours. Um, sorry, James Milner has made 615 appearances in this great league of ours. But if we're going off stats and stats alone, then uh, no. Oh, I've just got. It's fine. We'll give it. Got, we'll oh, give it another. We'll give it another season. He'll break the hundred goal mark. We'll get a Premier League hundred club compilation for to watch of two seasons worth of goals. Uh I don't think. And I said this the other week. I don't know why I'm repeating myself. You just get a rise out of me. <laughs> why do you think I even made the statement? Come on. Because you're I horrible, <laughs> horrible bastard. <laughs> I, I want longevity if you're going to be one of the greatest strikers. He's like, he's not one of the greatest ever Bundesliga strikers. Yeah, okay, but in all fairness, he didn't even get the Bundesliga golden boot when he was playing there. So Okay, fine. But I'm sorry, the... he's just gone and broken a record that stood okay, for that's fine. 30 years. That's fine. Break the record. Do what you want. I've got no issue with that. Because I, I like him. I, he's a very exceptionally good player. But you cannot say he's one of the greatest ever strikers to play in the Premier League. He's not been there a whole season. I want I don't want him to be there for two years and then fuck off to Real Madrid because then he still is not one of the greatest strikers to ever play in the Premier League. 
Even if he's then done what no other man in the Premier League has ever done. No. Because he will still have less goals than Jermaine Defoe. <laughs> you know, I uh... want longevity. We were talking about Frank Lampard. Frank Lampard has 177 Premier League goals. Andy Cole has 187. Alan Shearer has 260. I didn't just even get a nibble. I got a freaking massive bite off of that one. Wrap, wrap, this, wrap this up now. I was about to say, I think on that note, before Bill starts biting anymore, we will end it for this week. And of course, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to AT Sports News on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And make sure to check out, as I said, our previous episodes, especially where we had a nice little discussion about how and when Haaland could exactly become the greatest striker that has ever graced the Premier League. But thank you very much for listening, guys. Keep calm and love the beautiful game.